How's your self-transformation journey going? How do you deal with that well? Achieving success and happiness at work and home demands our evolution in romantic relationships, communication, leadership, and many more. Start diving into the definition of success, growth, and battling with and creating awareness of our own emotions. Tune in to Dominate Your Market podcast as Dr. John Schinnerer shares how to spend more time feeling happy, relaxed, and at ease and navigate life in good maneuver. Witness how you will better understand how to be a great man. I want to welcome you to the Dominate Your Market podcast, where we interview leaders, CEOs, founders, and high-impact business development professionals to get their insights on how you can grow your business efficiently, build an amazing company, and still have a life. Today's guest is Dr. John Schinner. John coaches men to greater success and happiness at work and at home. If you don't have all of these, you have none of them. John hosts a podcast to help men find success and happiness called The Evolved Caveman. I highly recommend that, everyone. Over 10,000 people have taken John's online anger management course as well. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Thanks for I'm having doing, me. I'm, I'm doing great. You know, you are, you speak my language in the sense of sort of this, this men's, this men's sphere we're talking about as I, I've worked with men for the last 25 years. And uh, it's an interesting sector out there right now. You know, there's a lot going on. And uh, I, I can't wait to kind of get your viewpoint and your experience working with men. As I said, the majority of the men I work with are kind of high achieving, high driving, alpha male CEOs. And I truly believe many of these high achieving men feel alone in the pursuit of success in business and with this, the stress they feel that, that they're under, right? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting sector of uh, the business world, but I'd love to have you talk about that for a minute. Well, yeah, I think it's definitely what I'm seeing as well. We know from statistics that there's an epidemic of loneliness out there. There's an epidemic of alcohol and drug abuse. There's an epidemic of deaths of despair among men. And one of the things that I see over and over is that we start out with this really good value when we're in our 20s, which is men provide for the family. Okay, I can totally get behind that. But what I see happening often is that in the next 10, 20, 30 years, that value, which is positive in nature or positive primarily, it gets warped, it gets cancerous. And, and we begin to devote more and more time and attention to work and less and less time to the people for whom we're working, our spouse and our family, our children. And then over time, because time and attention is the currency of relationships, our spouse gets annoyed, resentful, angry, frustrated. Our kids who are now teenagers have become resentful, annoyed, frustrated. And the very thing that we set out to provide for has now become a source of pain in our lives. And I can't tell you how many men I've spoken to at you know, the age of 50 to 65 that have done it all right. You know, They went to good schools, they got good jobs, they made, got married, raised families, made a ton of money have a lot of respect in the workplace and they come to me and they say in some manner, John, I'm miserable. Boy, I get it all and the that, time. That doesn't work for me. Right. It just, it drives, it's, it's brutal. It shouldn't be that way. And, and so, and I think in the process of doing that, we allow our friendships, our male friendships to fall off because we're so we're hyper-focused on work and family and kids and we don't make time for our male friendships. 
And so to your point, yeah, a lot of men are winding up very isolated. Yeah, you know, and, and I think you make a good point too. It's, it's um, I know for me, and I'm divorced now amongst the majority of men above 50, especially businessmen, unfortunately. And um, that what you, you, what you outlined 20s, 30, that was me. You just, you just defined me right there. Like literally right there. Right. I was like, okay, that's me. You know? And then, you know, as men, we didn't, as younger men, in my opinion, we didn't have the tools to be able to cope with and handle sort of, you know, business, you know, our marriages, our children, right. We, we didn't have the tools and that's not an excuse by the way, you know? So if any uh, ladies are listening out there, we, I just didn't have them until it was too late. But it is an explanation. I I like the distinction between explanation and excuse, right? Like, I agree with you. I don't think it's an excuse for our behavior and yet it's an explanation. So it helps us to make sense of why it happened. Yeah. You know, and for me, right after I was served papers, um, I dove into a lot of books, right? Like I became a junkie for it. Like, you know, men, women, relationships, business, all mindset, all of this stuff. I mean, I read dozens of books and I, I became obsessed. I really, really yeah. did. And it, and I will tell you this, and my ex-wife were very amicable, very, very amicable. Um, I spent the first six months probably every day. And boy, am I being, being vulnerable on my own podcast right now. I would say for the first six months of when I moved out of my se- my home of 17 years that we raised our kids in, I probably sent her two or three apology text messages every single day. Every single day. She, she didn't know what to do with that. Like, you know, because what, what, what flooded my mind was all the scenarios that I, pardon my French, but this is my podcast. So I can say what I want, where I fucked up. Yeah. I fucked up. Like, you know, I did this. God, I was a dick doing that. God, what, I was an asshole. How could I say that? How, you know, and just, it just flooded me. So I would say for six months, I'll bet you I sent her 200 apology text messages in six months. Wow. 200 well, and, and, you know, as long as we're being open and honest here, mm. you know, I'm divorced as well. And I remember feeling like an absolute failure as a man, a husband and a father. Yes. When I first had to leave the house. Um, and, and here's the other thing that kind of interests me about this. I think you're absolutely right. We don't have the tools. We don't have the skills. We're not socialized in that way. And, you know, we can talk more about this man box socialization process. As yeah, we I do want further, to talk about but that. The, the thing that I love about this idea is I truly believe that it is not our fault that mm-hmm. we lack those skills because we're never socialized that way. And in fact, I would go so far as to say we're mocked and humiliated for trying to go in that direction. Yes. So I really like the idea that it's not our fault that we are the way they are, that we are the way we are. However, it is our responsibility to evolve beyond it. Oh, well, you, you know, in, in your podcast, The Evolved Caveman, I mean, literally when I saw that on LinkedIn, I'm like, I got to meet this dude. Like the <laughs> second I saw the name of your podcast, I thought I got to meet this guy. Well, in full disclosure, I would not say I am the evolved caveman. I would say I'm the evolving caveman. I'm not done, but. Well, but, but I, I, you know, and I, I didn't break it down to that specific anyways, but it just, for me, you know, and again, for men, it does really go all the way back to the caveman era. It does. Like truly, holy shit. Like, you know, we went out and we hunted, you know, we, we brought it back and, and, you know, we, the, the wife, you know, the, the woman, you know, appreciated the food and it, the kids and, 
you know, it, I don't want to get into a lot of that kind of crazy talk. Well, but I, but I think the biggest part of us that goes back to that caveman era is our emotional mind. And those emotions really served us when we were living with a tribe, anger, mm -hmm. fear, sadness, guilt, shame, curiosity. And we still have those vestiges within us. And I think, you know, we're pretty good when we're calm, cool, and collected, when our rational mind is in charge <laughs> of us. And yet, usually women we're dating or in relationship with, they want us to be more emotional, more emotionally aware, more communicative. And we're like, oh shit, like if I scratch that scab, it's never going to stop bleeding and I'm not going to be able to control my own emotions. And then I'm going to be humiliated. And so that fundamental tension uh, damages, if not destroys a lot of relationships. You know, um, I heard a, a phrase a while back and I can't say the second part of the phrase because it would be, it's a little derogatory, a little bit, and it, it's almost more on the dating world. Well, I'll say it, you know what? Fuck it. I'll say it. But it, it was, it's, it's related more to the dating world. But, and, and a woman said this to me, by the way, not a man. She said, men market with their success. Women market with their skin. And, and that's more on the dating world, right? Especially like dating apps and all of that stuff. And when I heard that, there was one of those profound statements that, and I want to kind of shift back over to the men. Yes, men, we, we, we were brought up to, to be providers. We were brought up to be successful. And then as men, because we don't have the tools, we don't have those emotional tools way back early on in our 20s. Yes, we define ourselves. I don't anymore, but you know, the nice car, the fancy home, the nice watch, fancy clothes, all these material things, right? Things. And I, I'm over it. Like I, I'm done with it. Well, and, and I, I mean, I think I like to reduce those to bright, shiny objects, yes. right? And I think if we're living back in the tribe, they could have been rocks or gems or stones or bones or, you know, who knows what feathers, yeah. flowers, but now they're, you know, diamonds, bends, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. The, the penthouse and it's the same idea. And I do think there is this attraction to successful men by women, partly because they feel that will protect them. That makes them secure. Oh, hundred, hundred thousand percent. Yes. And, and I'm, by the way, women who are listening, if you're offended by that statement, I think this is a very deep primal urge and obviously not all of you have it, Of course. but I do think there's yes. a reality to it as well for many. Yeah. Well, and I think for us men, we kind of know that innately, right? And so we're like, okay, drive, drive, more successful make more money, have more things. We kind of know that. And especially if you're, if you're a divorced man, now you're going to, but again, um, and I'm going to write a book on this, um, but if you're a divorced man that is not ambitious, is not driven, um, then you are not going to be perceived as a high value man in the marketplace. And that's something you should work on, right? And right. you're not working on it for the sake of attracting a woman. You should be working on it for the sake of yourself but then I'll go into that balance, right? And I'm in, I'm at that juncture right now where I want more balance. You know, I want to start traveling. You know, I just turned 59 the last uh, two months ago. Uh, I've, I've done no traveling, no traveling. And so I'm to a point now where, you know, yeah, I'm over that. I do have a nice car, but not a Lamborghini or nothing like that. Mm -hmm. I do have a nice home, but that's it. I'm done right there. Like, that's it. I want to, I want to, you know, travel and, and do these things. And I think that's where men also um, can start linking up with other men. Um, I, I will say for myself, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert, but I'm an extrovert. So I'm, I'm kind of this hybrid. I was, Ambivert. You put, you, what's that? Ambivert. 
okay, there you go. Because you put me in a crowd and I'm probably not going to want to be in the center. But if you get me talking, it's over. It's over, especially if we're talking about sound. So I'm now seeking out strong male friends as we speak, but really yeah. strong men that are at that level that I'm at of in business, uh, mentality, personality, that kind of thing. And um, that's important. Well, and to that, to that point, I, I started, a, I don't even know what to call it. I'm starting a men's group here in mid-November, but I also started a men's nice social, social club. I, I don't know what to call it. Like we're just, we're getting together once a month for dinner. And, you know, there's about, right now there's about 13 to 14 of us, awesome. that, you know, so maybe 10 show up for dinner, but it's, there's no other reason other than social connection. John, I'm going to do the same thing. And it's not from what you just said. I could have a record of it in emails. Uh, months and months ago, I thought I want to create a group here in Phoenix yeah. of high driven success. It's really important. I'm telling you what, and I feel like, and you tell me if I'm wrong here and tell me what, describe what you're going to put together because I feel like men want a safe zone. I feel like they want they, you know, this is not a, for me, um, I don't want a let's cry and hug each other group. I don't, that's not the group for me. It really doesn't jive with me. I want a group where men just talk about their issues, but still, and I guess if a man cried would be okay, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't really comprehend that as well. I want more, <laughs> uh, you know, and maybe the women, if women listening, oh, this guy's got issues, but. Well, I, would, would it help? Would it help if you knew there was cortisol in those tears? Cortisol is the stress hormone. So it's sure. actually a physical release. Yeah. I, when you I, cry. We could talk about it another time, but, but, <laughs> but, but so tell me about your group. So, so it's, it's nothing, you said nothing other than a social environment. Well, so what I, I, I realized after, especially since COVID that, a lot, a major thing for a lot of the clients that I see was that they didn't have any friends or they didn't have enough friends or they didn't have the right kind of friends or nope. they had lost friends for a variety of reasons. And it could be divorce. It could be COVID. It could be, I, there's all sorts of reasons, but um, I thought to myself, like I've kind of been trained to, in, in my mind, my training as a psychologist is see one person at a time, and that's kind of the box around how I see them. And you don't see them outside of that venue. Hmm. And I thought, well, if the rules aren't working, can we change the rules? And so I thought, well, let me just go. And I approached a number of my clients and just said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think? Every one of them was like, awesome, I'm in. And the idea is just, here's a group of men that I like, I trust, and I respect. And I told everyone that. So there's already this higher bar on the, upon entrance of, increased trust. And, and so now we get together and we've only gotten together once so far, we've got another one in a couple of weeks, but the idea is just to share. And like two of these individuals have um, special needs kids and somehow they, like, I didn't even make this connection when I was thinking about the whole thing, but they've sat next to each other and had this great conversation about having a special needs kid. And, you know, no one can really get your pain and suffering like someone who's in the same boat. And, and there was those kind of conversations kind of going on all throughout the night. And it was just like, wow, this is really cool. Like I, I really don't have an agenda for it other than connection, but I almost think that's the most important agenda. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I definitely picture having no agenda, really just getting the, the men together and just let it organically happen. 
you know, people gravitate to each other. They start talking about things, you know, but I, I don't think I'd ever want a group that was really isolating many groups within the group. I'd, I'd still like it to be a group, right? Where everybody's sort well, of. Yeah. I mean, to me, there's going to be like group conversations and then there's going to be a natural splitting off into two on two or you yeah, know, three people sure. conversations and then come back to the group. And so I, I don't really want to put rules on it. I just want to yeah. let it evolve because I, I really don't know what it becomes or if it just stays this, I, I really have no agenda other yeah, that, than connection. Yeah. Which I think is so critical. Well, there's one thing I want to cover for sure um, because we can go on and on and all of a sudden we're, we've been talking for two hours, but you talk about this man box culture. So, because uh, I've never heard of that. And, and I've, like I said, I've read dozens of books on lots of stuff about, you know, men, women, dating and all of that. What's man box culture? So thanks for asking. Manbox culture is an idea started in the 1980s by Paul Kivel, who is kind of this, in my mind, a Hall of Fame social justice activist. He's taken on like all the major issues. But at the time, he was trying to connect with black teenage boys in Oakland that were not engaged in their education. And in Oakland growing up, and I've talked to several black men who have said, yeah, it's not cool to show that you're smart growing up. So you have to hide that shit. Mm. which is interesting because that's kind of part of the man box, but I think it might be area specific. But anyway, he couldn't get them to engage. So he started asking them something else. What does it mean to you to be a real man? And he gathered hundreds, thousands of answers. And this question has gone on in the last four decades. Ashanti Branch is doing some amazing work with his masks that we wear, where he came up with this exercise and he was working with hardened youth in high schools And he could not get them to open up. And actually there was a documentary crew coming to film him that day. And he's like, I don't know what they're going to film. Like these guys just aren't talking about anything. So out of necessity, he came up with this idea of on the front of your piece of paper, write what emotions you are comfortable showing to others at school. All right. Courage, toughness, in control, like all that kind of stuff. He goes, now turn the page over. And I want you to write what's behind the mask. What are you keeping from everyone else? And it's fear, a girlfriend got pregnant, uh, dealing with a dad that's got drug addiction issues, um, don't have anything under control, uh, scared about the future, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he said, okay, now crumple it up and throw it in the middle of the group. And then he would open them up and kind of read them to show, look, we're all the same. Holy smokes. Everyone's fronting. Everyone's wearing a mask. We're all trying to pose. And yet this is the real shit. It's real. This is what we're all feeling. This is what we're scared to death to, to share. And yet this is where the rubber meets the road. And so we started gathering this information and you, you get these themes and the themes in the man box are things like men dominate women. Men are aggressive. Men don't, don't back down. Men avoid all things feminine. Men avoid all things homosexual. Men are self-reliant. Men excel at sports. We compete. We win. We're tough. We don't feel. And, and I think there's another piece of men have power over others rather than power with. I mean, because think of the male, the popularity hierarchy, right? Like there's always a top dog and then you know your place in the hierarchy whether it's a criminal organization or military or social, like, you know, where you stand. And the, the biggest problem I see with it is, and you know, some of that's good. Some of it's bad. Like I said, you know, men are providers, men provide for the family. Okay. That's a good value. I can get behind that. And yet I think it gets 
cancerous and detrimental for many of us because we don't balance it well. But the biggest one that I see as a problem is that men don't feel. Men should be stoic. I, I just, I think that does us a huge disservice because what I see happening is think back to like middle school and high school. And by the way, this socialization process starts when we're like five. As soon as we get into kindergarten, into groups of boys, we start to police ourselves. And, you know, it, it may or may not come from your father. It doesn't have to. It can come from peers. It comes from media, movies, television, songs, rap, all that stuff, right? Um, but in any case, what happens when we're growing up is if we show too much sadness or fear to someone in public, inevitably a peer or a friend is going to say something like, dude, stop being such a pussy. Yep. Don't be a little bitch. Yep. Or don't be a little girl. Now there's other insults, but those are kind of the classics. And those three are all the epitome of the feminine. So you learn real quick, do not be feminine. And I don't think it takes many times of getting those insults if you're smart <laughs> and aware where you go, shit, I am never showing that shit again. Right. And you jump back in the man box, right? And then on the other side of the emotional spectrum, we get, hmm. or let me say, if we show too much joy, love, romanticism, excitement, flamboyance, God forbid, if we, if we look at our nails wrong, if we look at the underside <laughs> of our shoe wrong, it's, and remember, I, we used to get this, right? How do, oh, your yeah. nails are dirty. How do you look at your nails? And one was looking at the nails this way and the other was this way. One's oh. masculine, one's feminine when you're in middle school, well, middle school, high school, uh, elementary school. But then we get those insults like, dude, stop being so gay or don't be a fag. And uh, I apologize yeah. for the slurs, but yeah. we have to talk about this stuff because this is what we get. And I've checked this with people all over the US. I've checked sure. this with people all over the world. And it holds true in 95% of the places in the world that I've talked to people. And even like in India, they'll say, well, the words aren't the same, but the meaning is like, we have different insults. The language is different, but it's exactly, don't be feminine, don't be gay. And so we're policing ourselves. And, and the problem is, you know, we jump back in the man box and what are we allowed to express emotionally that we cannot, or we're, we're safe in terms of, we're not going to be humiliated for showing this. I would say it's three things. The first one is lust. She's so hot, I'd do her because that tells you I'm hetero. The second one is stress. Because if I tell you, Mike, I'm so stressed, it says I'm busy or important at some level. I matter. And the third one, I would say the big one is anger, some degree of anger. So irritation, mm -hmm. annoyance, frustration, rage. But anger is safe for us because if we come at someone with anger, they're not going to say we're gay. They're not going to say we're feminine. They may not say anything at all. But anger is manly. And, and here's the problem with that. The problem is that the vast majority of our emotions get funneled through that anger lens. Mm. And so I was just going to do a podcast called Men Who, Men Who Are Angry or Feel Nothing. Men Who Ooh. Feel Anger or Nothing, right? Like, because that's, that's a pretty typical profile. I mean, I've, yep. seen, I've seen embarrassment flip to anger. Uh, one of the questions I'll ask people when dealing with anger is, What's underneath the anger? And consider that the, what I'm talking about is an emotion that hits you for about a third of a second. Think about that, a third of a second, and then immediately flips to anger. So most of us aren't even aware there's an emotion underneath the anger wow. because we just don't have that level of awareness. And so I've seen embarrassment flip to anger. I've seen anxiety flip to anger. I've seen guilt, shame sadness, depression. I mean, we know depression shows up as irritability and impatience in men. It's almost like a defense and mechanism almost. It is. 
And, and it, again, not our fault, just yeah. our responsibility, because we didn't ask to be socialized like this. It just happens. And it happens in countries where you have a neighboring country, you have some scarce natural resource, and you have a threat of invasion. And so I believe it's society's way to prepare us to be soldiers. Mm. And I mean, I'm all for soldiers. I thank God every day for what they do. Yeah, for sure. Day, but often, right? Like I'm really yep. appreciative of the work they do. Um, but we don't have to socialize every one of us to be soldiers. And, mm -hmm. and there's other like island countries like um, Tahiti, Polynesia, like there's some countries that don't have the neighbor, they have plentiful resources and their development in terms of their masculinity differs from ours. So it's a learned, it's a taught concept. Now you, I mean, I could probably listen to you talk for a couple hours, for sure. I mean, <laughs> your, well, your knowledge is just amazing. But I, I want to circle back around to a lot of our listeners are CEOs, owners, founders, right? They're, they're, they're running these companies. And, of course, we've got all kinds of crazy times from when COVID hit to now this, this supposed recession and all of that stuff. Um, and, you know, I have calls every day with my clients, you know, and most of them are men. Um, and I can I can hear in the tone that the stress, the um, and I do hear, I'll, I'll hear a little bit of anger. They don't really get angry too much on the phone. Cause we're really trying to talk about business growth and all of that. Yeah, no, but, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. But tell me like, so, so for all the listeners out there that, you know, these, these male CEOs, highly driven men, um, growth minded when they're experiencing this stuff, these feelings and emotions, like, what would you say to that in the sense of like, even like, I, there's no quick fix, right? Because a lot of it could be really buried pretty deep. But what would you say to that? Like, if just, you know, CEO guy gets to work, all of a sudden he starts getting stressed out and he goes, here we go. Every day it's like this. Well, I, I like the question just kind of to set the foundation of, you know, is it safe to assume that all of us have been wrong about something in the past? Oh, boy. Because everyone's millions like... Millions of times. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, I've been wrong. And, and then it's the idea of, okay, but we don't know what we've been wrong about. Like in the moment beforehand, you don't know that you're wrong about it. And so if we can get behind this idea that, okay, we've been wrong in the past, at that time, we weren't sure what we were wrong about. And then this possibility that I'm wrong about things. And the second question is, what do I value more? The truth or my own beliefs? Because I think we just need to get open and curious to the fact that maybe I don't know fucking everything. Maybe I could use a little intellectual or emotional humility. Maybe I, I do need to realize that there's miles of information in hundreds of thousands of subjects that I've got no clue about. Mm. So just to start out with this idea of openness, open-mindedness, humility, curiosity, and, and then you can go into, well, you know, what's, what's the biggest point of pain for you? Is it anger? Is it stress? Is it depression? Is it depression that's coming out as anger? Is it your relationship at home? Is it, you know, are you having trouble like motivating your executives below you in the hierarchy at work? Um, and because then it, I, that kind of tends to lead me in a certain direction um, to get to your, to get to specifics. I think one of the things that I, the easiest way to get going in this is I, I think that we, you know, Tasha Yurik has research that shows that if you ask people, if you ask a hundred people out there, 
95 of them will say, oh yeah, I am highly self-aware. Now, self-awareness means I'm aware of my thoughts, my emotions, my values, my beliefs, and I'm aware of how I impact other people. So there's internal and external pieces to it. But in truth, her research shows that it's about 15% of us. And I think most of us go through life as kind of an automaton. We We are truly creatures of habit. And those habits serve us generally, but if the habits aren't serving us, we need to change those habits. And so I think one of the biggest jumping off points is building this skill of metacognition, which is at its base, it's thinking about thinking. It's the beginning of awareness. It's, are you even aware of what's going on in your own head? And that that's tough. That's challenging because some of those thoughts are fast and sneaky. And, you know, you got those hall of fame, automatic negative thoughts. Like for me, my, one of my classics was I'm a fucking dumbass. And that was after getting a PhD at Cal and after writing a book. And so, I, I mean, it's like, what? Like, I'm not stupid, but my mind was still, still telling me I was. So, you know, and the easiest way to begin to build metacognition is with this really simple exercise that I love. And it's simply when you're going throughout your day, stop, take a breath and ask yourself, what am I thinking right now? And the next level of that is pause, take a breath and ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? Because you want to be aware of both, right? And, but you got to start somewhere. And and here's the thing that research has shown about this question or these questions, which I love. The answer does not matter. It's not the answer that matters. It's the, the fact that you're stopping, pausing and looking, observing. That's what we're trying to build. We're trying to build a difference between, I, I mean, you know, we get socialized. I was so socialized to believe that I am my thoughts, right? That I get good grades. I'm smart. I know how to do shit. I know the answer, right? Ooh, pick me, pick me. I know the answer. And so we over-identify with our thoughts. We are not simply our thoughts. We're far more than that. We're our emotions. We're our bodily sensations. We're some energy that you know activates this five-layer meat sack. <laughs> and, and so you know, there's so much more to us than that, but so many men that I know over identify with thought because it's safe, Mm. right? Because we don't want to dip a toe in that emotional water because we don't know what the fuck that is. Yeah. That could open up Pandora's box right there. Yeah. And then I might cry at work and God forbid that. (laughs) Um, And, and, and that's not going to happen by the way, for those of you that are afraid of that, but you know, so we're trying to step out of the thought stream and the thought stream I think of as thought and emotion. And normally we're in the thought stream. We're like, you know, knee deep in it. And, you know, thoughts come by like I'm a fucking dumbass and we grab the leaf that the thought is on from the stream and we're like, oh, yeah, like, oh, that's right. I said that shitty thing yesterday. That was stupid. And I did make, make that other mistake four days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was stupid, too. And, and you can do that, right? Like I can find evidence that I've fucked up in the past. I can find evidence oh, yeah, we all can. that I'm an idiot, that I've done stupid shit because it's there, unfortunately, because I'm human, which really pisses me off. But, you know, so the idea is if you're in the thought stream, you're fused with those thoughts and emotions. You are one with them. That's not most desirable. Far more desirable to step out onto the bank of the stream and watch it. 
because now I've got some psychological distance from it. Now I can see the leaf going by that says I'm a dumbass and just go, yeah, I've seen that before. I know it's total bullshit. I'm going to let it just continue down the stream. I'm not going to get hooked by it. I'm not going to engage in it. Yeah. And, and so oh, this is fascinating. It's um, and, you know, like I interviewed uh, Ethan Cross, who's who wrote the book Chatter, and he's one of the world's experts in internal chatter, your mental chatter, the inner mm. critic. And he talks a lot about immersed self-talk and distanced self-talk. And typically what we are is we're immersed in our self-talk. And, you know, when we're immersed in that, the thoughts and feelings, it's a lot of first person pronouns. I, me, my, oh my God, I can't take this anymore. I can't handle this. I'm getting overwhelmed. You know, I'm going to lose it. So it's all I, I, I. And so that's what I mean, like being immersed with it, right? Like you're feeling flooded and the thoughts back that up and they just make you feel more flooded. The psychological distance comes from stepping out of the stream. And, And there was, we knew this for a while, but we didn't have, we're getting better and better at tools to step out of the stream. So it used to be like, imagine yourself as a bug on the wall in your room, who's looking at you to get some distance, right? Um, it, I remember I had a client that was really anxious and I asked him, can you describe your anxiety for me? And he said, yeah, it feels like being in a hurricane. I was Ooh, like, wow, geez. that's great. Wow, bravo. Um, and I said, okay, so now what I need you to do is I want you to imagine that hurricane of anxiety. Now step into the eye of the hurricane where it's calm. You can get oxygen so you can breathe. Shit's still swirling around you, but it's not bouncing off your head now. And the next step is now I want you to imagine you're the weatherman reporting on the hurricane from a safe distance. And you can continue that, right? Like now you're the person in the TV studio talking to the weatherman. And so that's kind of the process of getting psychological Hmm. distance, but here's the best, easiest way to do it with the least cognitive load. In other words, the least energy taken up by your brain. And that is simply to speak to yourself in second or third person pronouns. So now when I'm getting overwhelmed, I'll talk to myself as John in my head. So this is the difference. If I'm getting stressed out and getting flooded and losing my shit. If I'm speaking per- first person, I'm like, fuck, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm fucking losing it. Like, oh my God. Okay. So that's first person. If I go to third person, when I'm in that state, if I can access this tool, I can be like, John, relax. You got this. You can deal with this. Take a deep breath, take a step back. This is nothing you can't handle. Yeah, this is difficult and you're going to be okay. But you see the difference in the emotion massive. of the thought, right? Which yeah, is wild because there's no voice. But I, I really like the idea, and I've been playing with this for a few years of just, um, you know, I, I think that at this point, there's a little me, there's like a five-year-old me inside my head. There's like maybe a 15-year-old me. The five-year-old's more fearful and the 15-year-old's more angry and mm, like interesting. And, but who I usually find myself talking to is that five-year-old mm-hmm. dude, John, like relax, go back to sleep. I got this. Get behind me here. Grab a blanket. You're okay. You're safe. I'm going to hmm. take care of this because it's all about how do you manage those strong emotions when they come up? Oh, for sure. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I know we're, uh, the podcast is getting a little long. 
Um, I'm going to have you on probably a second, even a third time if you want, if you want to come on. But but you know, one thing that comes to my mind when I think of a CEO or business owner is it's and it's a word that a lot of men, including me, I still have a hard time uh, accepting this word. But it's how I feel, feelings, right? And so you know, I think one question everybody can ask is in the moment, what's causing me to feel this way? You know, a question like that. I don't know how you feel about that. I know, but I know for me, if I um, it's hard for me to stop it because I'm a pretty strong guy. And if, if something, something's coming out of me, it's a, it's a whirlwind. It's, it's, so it, it, it would take a lot of self-awareness for me to stop and say something like, Mike, what's causing you to feel this way? Now you tell me what yeah, you think about it. And, and I just, think that's typical, right? I, I think that, man. you know, as I mentioned, we get fused with those emotions and we think that we have no control over them. And I think the other thing that I've realized over many years, I've taught anger management for 15 years or so, is that all my clients would come in and the emotion anger would be fused with the behavior that you take when you're angry, right? So someone can call me a pussy. I feel angry. When I was younger, you can do something like immediately punch him in the face. Sure or insult him back. Yep. Right. And that all takes a third of a second. The one of the tricks is realizing that the the emotion is separate from how you behave. And and that you have a third of a second between emotion and action. And with awareness and with practice, you can extend that third of a second to a second, five seconds, 10 mm -hmm. seconds. And it's People, I, so many people have said like two to a third of a second, I can't do anything in a third of a second. <laughs> I understand. And we're talking about the speed of thought. So you can actually insert a thought in there. And, and again, this takes a little bit of awareness and practice, but yes. you get triggered, you get angry, which I still do. I'm human. And then I can think, I can think, take a deep breath. I can think, get out of the situation. Oh, got to go to the bathroom. Excuse me. Um, let me think about that. Um, I can reframe it. I can look for what I'm supposed to learn here. I can put a different perspective on it. Oh, this might be coming from their, you know, maybe they're hurt underneath their anger. Maybe I embarrassed them somehow. Maybe I hurt their feelings. And so it's coming out as anger. And, and so there's different things you can do, depersonalize it. You know, maybe this guy just got in a fight with his wife earlier this morning mm. and he's actually angry about that. Yeah, you don't know. You, you know, it's interesting because I think for, for men like me, I've had a lot of people, including my ex-wife, say, you are the most impulsive man I've ever met. Impulsive, right? That, that strong word of like just instant. And I would say that's probably me. And, and, and it served me well in, in business sometimes, take action quickly and, and don't hesitate or ponder. And socially, probably not so much, right? You know, that impulse. And so I think... Um, in closing, in this first podcast, I have maybe a couple with you. Um, I think when, when a CEO, when you get that impulse, right? And I think a lot of a lot of men probably have that that impulsive situation, right? Where something comes over you, and literally, like you said, a third of a second, a split second, you are mm, you're you're at it, right? And that could be at work, that could be in relationships, that could be with your children, whoever. What do you, so I like the idea. I've had a lot of people say this to me. I've not been able to perfect it yet. I've implemented it probably 5% of the time, which is terrible, which is, dude, take a breath. Do not do any action whatsoever for five seconds. 
1,001. Mm -hmm. In five seconds, as you can imagine, a guy like me, literally feels like an hour. It feels like an hour, right? Yeah. To even to count one, two, I'm like, oh my God, shoot me. But, but something like that. So when you think of a CEO stressed out and maybe they're a little bit more impulsive, what would you, would you say something like that? Like, well, I, I think, you know, I, I like the idea that there's a gap between stimulus and response. And within that gap lies the potential of freedom and choice. And, and so all this is practices about elongating that gap and becoming aware of it. So like practices like mindfulness become really important. We know from like, when I hear impulsivity, I also think, you know, oh, you know, attentional difficulties like ADHD, ADD, mm -hmm. with or without hyperactivity. And we know from studies that when we've taught ADHD teen boys how to practice mindfulness, they can pay attention better in class to boring sub subjects, which is, hmm. you know, their Achilles heel. Yeah. And, and so we know that the brain is plastic and we know that there's, it, it can grow and change throughout the lifespan. And we know that for some of these practices, there are positive benefits that we see after six or eight weeks of practice, but there's also a dose related effect. So the more you practice, the more benefits you see. And with something like mindfulness, that's definitely true. But a lot of this is just doing the work and it's repetition, right? Because what we're yeah. trying to do is I would argue with that impulse that it's fueled by emotion. And because impulse is really, or emotion is really avoid or approach, approach or avoid, and at its most base. And so if you have a really strong approach or a strong instinct or impulse to approach or say something, I would say that's emotion fueled. And I really like the, you know, one of the greatest researchers on emotion is a neuroscientist. Um, and he said, we are not thinking beings who feel, we are feeling beings who think. Ooh. In other words, emotion always has the ability to overpower our rational mind. And we try to let, we try to, so we, we don't want that to happen generally. And yet it's going to happen. I mean, we're, Every thought, I would argue, is fueled by emotion. Every emotion has some thought element to it. They're intertwined inextricably. And so we have to do the work to slow this process down and become more aware of it in, in the microseconds, in the milliseconds level. Um, I, I don't even know what to say about this, this, this show today. It fascinates me. It just absolutely fascinates me. And your knowledge is way up there. I mean, so it, uh, I thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on the show. You've mentioned some authors. So let me ask you this question in closing. Um, and then we'll find out how people can get a hold of you. So what think of C again, CEO, business owner, founder, driven, really business oriented. What, what resources are out there for them? And, and of course you'll be one. So we'll mention that at the very, very end, but what books, I mean, what would you recommend in the sense of like, you know, if, if they were to pull out an audio book and listen to that, you know, 15 minutes a day, whatever, what would you, what kind of resources would you recommend for them? Um, you know, there's a couple that I love. One is um, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. That's a great, <clears throat> it's not scientific, but it's a great book about how to get disentangled with that inner voice, um, how to separate yourself from your thought. Um, another one is Chatter by Ethan Cross, K-R-A-U-S-S. -S. Um, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 is quite good. That's by a P. 
PhD at, uh, I think, Harvard at the uh, at Yale Center for Social and Emotional Development. Um, and yeah, I, I think just having curiosity around it instead of judgment, I, I think the way that we're raised, socialized, makes us very judgmental about ourselves as men when we do feel. And I think that's one of the big, big stumbling blocks that we face because think of, um, you know, I, to me, I've been thinking lately about the idea that men should not feel like to be a real man, we're supposed to be stoic and yet we're human. So we do feel so fundamentally right off the bat, we've got this conflict. And then when we do feel, we feel shame about it, or we get angry at ourselves and yell at ourselves about it, or we get depressed, or then we get, we feel guilty that we're depressed, or then we get angry about being depressed. And I, I really, I'm curious about this idea of shame fueling this epidemic of disconnection among men across the US and maybe the world, because if we define shame, shame is the belief that we are unworthy of connection, love and belonging. Hmm. So I can make the argument that the way we're socialized don't feel, and yet we're human and we feel, results in shame, which results in disconnection. Jeez. Wow, that's that's... That's profound. That is, uh, that, that's incredible. I definitely want to have you on again. I, I think this could be a series here, but, but um, <laughs> for people that um, want to get in touch with you, give it, give it all to me. L L uh, okay. So the URL. podcast is the evolved caveman. Yep. Um, it's at, you can check it out on any podcast platform. Uh, the website for that's the evolved caveman.com. There is guide to self all spelled out.com. Um, that's my coaching site. And I wrote a book many years ago. Um, it's how can I be happy? Or I think the prior version was guide to self, the beginner's guide to managing emotion and thought. And I'm working on a book right now on this man box idea. Oh, I love it. I've rewritten probably three times. So and I'm, I'm trying to fit that in between clients. <laughs> that's crazy. Well, well this will be on all the show notes on the webpage as well too. So when we get that out there to the social platform, people will be able to go to the webpage and get all those links. So John, thank you so much today. This was very enlightening. Um, I'm going to go get those books that you mentioned because I don't have any of those, which is shocking to me because I thought I was this student of all of this. And all of a sudden you just, you just brought up some books I don't have. So I'm going to go. There's get a lot of books out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but those look, those sound really, really interesting. So yeah. thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. You've just listened to the Dominate Your Market podcast with CEO business consultant and author, Michael Peterson. Growth-minded CEOs hire Michael to explode their revenues, build an amazing company, and create a transformational mindset that encapsulates growth, success, and ultimately, happiness. His book, Dominate Your Market, is creating quite a stir in the marketplace. Go to dominateyourmarketbook.com and get your first chapter free.